Welcome to Rework, a podcast by 37 Signals about the better way to work and run your business. I'm your host, Kimberly Rhodes. We mentioned in a previous episode that 37 Signals has grown and currently has the largest number of employees it's ever had. And in their book, Rework, Jason Fried and David Heinemeyer Hansen write about their goal of hiring employees who don't need heavy direction, a lot of handholding, or daily supervision. Employees who are essentially managers of one. Jason and David are here to talk about this concept of managers of one, why they're essential for running your business, and how to spot them during the hiring process. So let's jump right in. Tell us this term, managers of one. Tell me exactly what you guys mean by that. Yeah, we've been saying this for forever, I would guess, I would say. Um, and it came down to, you know, way, way, way back when, um, when we had really, really small teams. We had like, you know, eight people in the company, nine, ten, something like that. Um, you know, there were no managers, there was no supervisors, there was no heads of, there was no team leads. There were just people who had to do the job. And, uh, but people have to do the job, still have to manage their own work. So, you know, you have to kind of be organized. You got to think about the work that needs to get done and what doesn't need to get done, that sort of thing. And we had this notion of everybody who works here should manage themselves, basically should be able to take care of all the work that needs to happen, organize it, think about it, see it through, execute on it. Uh, independently. Uh, they might be working with somebody else, but that other person would not be the same kind of in, in the same kind of role. So they had no essential help in that way. So that's where it all started, but it stayed that way. We do have team leads today. We do have managers today. We do have department heads today, but we still expect everybody to be able to do their own work themselves independently, to scope their own work independently, to figure out what needs to be done independently. And it's still a, a fundamental hiring criteria for us. We don't want people who require other people to tell them what to do. Um, and every time we've hired somebody who came from an environment where they're used to getting basically like a to-do list of, you know, 22 points every morning, do this and your job is done for the day. Those people don't work out here. Um, we really need to find people who are self-starters and able to manage it all uh, themselves. I think all of this came in part from the fact that both Jason and I right from the early days, we're not interested in being managers ourselves in the traditional sense of spending the majority of our time checking in with people, checking up on people, that we wanted to create a culture and an environment where that was not someone's full-time job. Now, at the size we're at, at 80-some employees, there is a need for some of that, but far less than what I've seen at the majority of, of companies of our size. And I think that's sort of the echo of that, that even if we need some stuff at this moment with 80 plus employees, it's far less than, than what used to be. And I like to think of it even at our scale, even with the uh, managerial folks that we have, that they're still optional in the sense that they're value adds, that they make things run more smoothly, but that they would run nonetheless. If you leave anyone on, on the product teams or the marketing teams or whatever team to their own devices, they will look at the work that needs to be done and they will come up with something great. So let's say their manager is out, for example, for a month, taking a sabbatical, perhaps, as we do here um, once every three years. That's going to be okay. Um, in fact, I think um, a, a good example of this is, is Jason announcing um, recently internally that he's going to take a sabbatical for, for quite some time. And I took one uh, a couple of years ago and... It was, I, I took two months off, actually, a, tubble, a couple of years, uh, not quite two months, but almost two months, a couple of years ago. And what happened? Things just kept going. Because we are a company 
mainly consisting of managers of one who will, left to their own devices, figure out what to do. And I think this is also what we built a lot of structures around. So instead of having um, stand-up meetings, for example, we use Basecamp's feature of automated check-ins. And we ask every afternoon, what have you... What have you worked on today? And we ask every Monday morning, what are you going to work on uh, this week? Those are two examples of questions that replace a lot of what some managers do at some places where there's a lot of checking up and checking in. Um, managers of one can self-report what's going on and kind of get on with it. And I just find as someone who used to work for other people, granted that is now quite some time ago, um, I hated that process. I hated the process of a manager coming to me every few days to check in and check up. Um, and it was actually a demoralizing process. I felt it much better when like, you know what, I'm left to my own devices to figure out what needs to be done to ship this long-term project that we have. This is the same reason we work in cycles, that we try to plan work for six weeks at a time. But then we can have a chat. Um, every six to eight weeks, but not like every few days. Well, and I also think, David, those automatic check-ins kind of force you as an employee to self-manage because you're saying, this is what I'm going to work on. And then you're also saying, this is what I worked on. So it kind of forces that self-management as well, which I think is super helpful. So let me ask you this. How do you guys find these people? I mean, I know in an ideal world, everyone just like manages themselves. But I think for someone listening, they're like, yeah, it's, it's a nice idea. Like, how do you find these people? Well, you think you're a good example of this, right? Um, uh, you had your own business before, so obviously you know what the hell you're doing it's true. <laughs> when it comes to dealing with all managing the, yourself, <laughs> <laughs> all the incoming stuff, all the stuff you can do, can't do, have to say yes to, have to say no to, have to manage clients' expectations, all that stuff. That always helps. So that's a plus if you can find someone who has run their own business before or has been in a position of management before, but perhaps now wants to be an individual contributor because management's not their thing. They tried it, not really for them. So there's that. A big part of it though is, is in generally in how we hire, which is that we, um, we look at actual work, depending on the position we hire for, we give people a project to do, let's say a week-long project, a design project, for example. And you can look at that project and walk through the work with the person and talk through the work with the person. And you can get a pretty good sense on how organized they are, how thoughtful they are, what they thought of along the way, um, what they decided to do, how they managed their time. So it, it's very clear when you look at the work, There's there's been cases in the past where we had a candidate who seemed fantastic on paper. They did their one-week project and was totally disorganized. They didn't get it quite done. They rushed. Um, and you could just see that they're not going to be able to manage their time well. It's very clear that they just that's not their skill. Other people are just incredibly thorough, thoughtful, great writers, great organizers, um, make a case for themselves, can answer questions on the fly, can riff on the fly, and you just get a much better sense of their sort of executive function. Uh, and I think that's kind of what you're looking for when, you, when, you're, when you're hiring people. So part of it is the initial cover letter, uh, then, then comes the interviews, then comes the work. That really helps a lot, but I think their background is something that plays into it as well. I'd also say that um, Daniel Pink's book, Drive, spells out these three major forces that propel motivation, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And getting a sense of those three factors when someone is applying and you're reading through their uh, cover letter, which is what we put the most effort on. We don't put so much or, or emphasis. We don't put so much emphasis on, on the CV. We put a lot of emphasis on the cover letter. And then, as Jason said, we put a lot of emphasis on the, on the work test. 
pretty much every position we have, bar a few, we have some sort of work test. For programmers, we come up with a, a small sample project that someone can do in, in four to six hours if they make it that late in the, in the hiring stage. And you really do get a sense of the, the autonomy and the mastery and what someone brings to a project like that. And I have found that there's usually quite a good correlation between someone who excels in those factors. Um, mastery in particular is the one that sort of stands out. It's very rare that I see someone who's exceptionally good at what they do for the level that they're at, whether they're a senior or a junior programmer, wherever you, the bar you're measuring them against, that they stand out as someone who has great mastery, who don't also have the capacity to hire themselves. There's just some connection there when you really know what quality is, what it looks like and how to get there. Um, that is in some ways a self-driving motion machine. But it's not a foolproof method, and neither is spotting managers of one. As Jason says, sometimes you figure it out in the hiring process, sometimes you figure it out in the test, and sometimes you don't until the person is at the company and they're working for you. And, and you try and you prod and you attempt to, to teach this, and sometimes people who don't have this coming naturally to them or have worked at a much larger organization where Jason says they just get a list of tasks that need to be accomplished, they can uh, rejigger. They, they can get into this. And sometimes they can't. And then, hey, that, that's what hiring is. Hiring is not a foolproof process, neither for the person applying for the job thinking, oh, this is my dream job. And they find out, oh, actually, it's not their dream, dream job. Or for the person hiring thing, like this candidate is just... It's going to be excellent. Like You're not going to make 10 hires and get 10 hits. It just doesn't work like that. The odds aren't like that. There's no one who've come up with a foolproof method of picking 10 out of 10 in terms of winners, whether they are the biggest companies in the world, whether they are like Google and they use all sorts of lead code, coding tests or, or whatever. Um, so actually, the Google example is a good one. They used to, for example, you look at the CV a lot and place a heavy emphasis on, on Ivy League graduates. If you're from Stanford or MIT or whatever, wow, that really counted for a lot of Google. And they did this write-up, I think, five or six years ago, where they actually then tracked it afterwards. Okay, so does Ivy League education predict performance at Google? And the answer was absolutely, utterly not. <laughs> There's no correlation whatsoever with whether you were a grad from one of these institutions or, or you came from somewhere else. So it is still a dark arts. But it's a heuristic, like everything. You look at like, these are some of the things we'd like to see some promise of. This is usually what you do when you hire. You look for promise. You can't get guarantees. You look, is there promise in this work um, application? It's just four to six hours if we take the programmers, right? Like that's barely a day's worth of work. All it can give you is an indication. It can't tell you how someone is going to do over six weeks, but hopefully it'll, it'll point you in the right direction. But this is something we can use both when hiring. These are the kinds of people we're looking for. But then it's also something we use in performance management. Now we've hired someone. Are they showing up like this? Are they showing up like managers of one? Are they rushing to problems? Um, Kimberly, I think Jason called you. It was a great example. Why is this podcast happening right now with you as the host? It's happening because you just put your hand up when we had sort of an opening for this and said like, hey, I can help out, right? Rushing into... Um, sort of the need. That's a great example of manager of one. And those kind of opportunities are all over the business. 
that someone is not waiting around for their manager to assign them something. They see like, hey, this isn't right. And they take ownership of that. They put themselves forward or they even just dive right in and start fixing it. So managers of one is, is one of those things we refer to both the, before the hiring part and then after the hiring part. And, and one of the few principles I'd say we kind of almost put on a pedestal um, that this is something that you can get recognized for years into doing the job. Like, oh, man, this and this person is just such a great manager of one. That is some of the highest praise you can get at 37 Signals. So let me ask you this, because, David, you mentioned that it doesn't always work out, that you think someone might be a manager of one and they might not be. Have you guys ever had the experience on the flip side where someone is too much of a manager, meaning like they are not kind of following the flow? I mean, you guys still are the founders and the owners and still have say in every aspect. Have you had situations where someone's like taking that role too seriously? Yes, but I think it's it's separated from the manager of one. For me, manager of one is about how you approach the problems that exist. And then where it can veer into something is when you come up with a solution to a problem you self-identified and you tie your ego to that specific implementation of that solution. Because even though you see a problem and we might recognize, oh yeah, you saw a great problem, does not mean that the first solution you come up with is the greatest solution for it or is it even the solution for it. You still also have to be a person who can trade concessions um, like, hey, you want some of this, I want some of this, can we meet somewhere in, in the middle of it? And also someone who has the capacity to accept redirecting feedback. Because as you say, Jason and I have been here for 20 plus years. Sometimes people will see what they perceive to be a problem, and I will always cheer that, someone identifying it. And then they like, I think it should be fixed like this. And we go like, yeah, you know what, I can see how you arrived at that, but here's uh, perhaps a couple of reasons why that wouldn't quite work or or I have a different take on it. And that interaction still has to also be great, right? Like it's not enough just to self-identify problems, not enough just to rush to a solution to them. If you're then stuck in like, well, the thing I just came up with here, and this goes for me too, this goes for Jason as well, right? Like we are obviously highly ranking on managers of one and I will frequently come up with something I think is a total shoe-in solution. I'll show it to Jason and he'll go like, yeah, no, no. <laughs> it won't work for this reason. I mean, I've spiked, I don't know, countless features and things where I thought like, this is completely uncontroversial, just I'm fixing something great. And like Jason just sits with a bunch of other observations and see things from different angles because he's looking at things. In fact, I was just looking at something in Basecamp this morning that came through the daily recap where, where someone was exhibiting exemplary manager of one skills, identified a problem, jumped straight to proposing a solution, which is another key of this manager of one thing, I should say. It's one thing that someone can point out a problem and say like, hey, there's a problem over here. Yeah, that's that's nice. But 10 times better is someone who sees a problem and goes like, hey, here's my proposed solution. And, and perhaps here's a, here's a staff of that solution, not even a proposal for it, but I've actually gone back and done some work on it. And, and this person had. And the feedback, when I first saw it, I saw like, yeah, that's exactly what I would have done. And then I think it was Brian chimed in and said like, actually, Here's a couple of considerations you might not have made where perhaps what you think is better isn't from the user's perspective. And I went like, oh, yeah, I would totally have I would totally have stepped into that one and, and had to take a step back. So as long as you can take that step back, as long as you can accept that even if you try to solve something and do a great job at it, it might still not ship. That's that's it's really good to have both that that drive and that humility. So let me ask you this, because I feel like I would imagine 
because now 37 Signals does have managers of one, that that's a tough role, managing people who are highly independent and decision makers and used to making those kind of decisions on their own and moving things forward. But now they have a manager. Like, Do you have any guidance or tips or am I just assuming that it's harder than it is? It sounds hard to me. It's probably hard for both sides, the manager and the and the managed perhaps. But I think in our case, it's not so much a traditional management uh, relationship. It's more about coordinating. It's more about getting things out of the way for people. It's more about helping it being a second opinion than it is asking what people what they did every day, giving them a list of things they need to do and like laying out people's days for them. That's not how we do it. So they're really, they're really more of a facilitator, I would say. That's the role for managers here. And uh, that's, I think, what works best for, for our setup. Yeah, one way of thinking of it is, is someone to remove roadblocks, to make it easier for the employees to get these long stretches of uninterrupted time. Can you remove distractions? Can you remove interruptions? Those are hallmarks of a great manager, of managers of one at those M signals. And in fact... Um, we had a, a new engineering manager join us um, recently to to manage the SIP team. And we're very explicit in defining that role. Like, what's your success criteria for that role? It is that the individuals on that team feel like the work is easier. If you come in as a manager and you, you inject a bunch of new obligations and responsibilities that the managed can't quite see the purpose of or do not feel like their day is getting easier, no. I, I don't care what you otherwise bring to the table, that isn't helping. Versus if you come in as a manager and you take stuff off. You, oh, I used to have to do this like every Friday, but now someone else is kind of serving as a, as a bumper uh, or as a bump rubber on that, right? Like smoothing out the ride. Like that's a good example of, of a manager that's, that's helping. So facilitator, remover of roadblocks, um, smoothing out the path such that someone who's um, I was about to say doing the work, which is a trap we occasionally fall into at 37 Singles where we mm, don't consider management the work, which is a two-edged sword. Like sometimes I think that's actually, it's a healthy skepticism to have towards management, but it can also, it can tip over into a cynicism um, against management that there's nothing good management can ever do. And I think, I mean, we certainly dance that line sometimes, which is then difficult when you're trying to hire managers who's like, hey, you're coming in here, but I just read that you said the managers were not needed at all. Well, what do you need managers for when, when all you have is a bunch of managers of one? So I think that dance is more difficult here than it would be in a lot of places. But I think it also helps repel the kind of managers who think, do you know what? I'm showing up here to tell people what to do and for them to tell me what they've done. Yeah, that's just not the job here. I love that. Well, with that, we're going to wrap it up. And as a reminder, I'm having notions that we are going to do and Ask Me Anything in 2023 when Jason's back from a sabbatical. If you have a specific question for Jason or David, just leave us a voicemail message at 708-628-7850. We just might answer it on the podcast. You can also send us an email at rework at 37signals.com if that is easier. Rework is a production of 37 Signals. You can find show notes and transcripts on our website at 37signals.com slash podcast.